Hi, I'm Myron from Can Essentials, and we are suing the state of Oregon, actually suing OHA, over the aspergillus rule. Our farm is a beyond organic farm. We grow in living soil, we grow in greenhouses with light assist, and the aspergillus ruling and the way it works is making it really hard for us to stay in business among a lot of other farms who are having random fails and fails for various different reasons. We've been having quite a few fails. So we sued the state, uh, sued OHA about the way they did it. And we're sitting here and waiting for the state to come through. I think it's important because I want people to understand that, you know, there are very conscious people who are growing in a way in which they care about the consumer to understand that, you know, we're still trying to make good product that protects both the consumer and the producer. But the way that this rule has kind of been made makes no sense at all, um, especially... Yeah, with aspergillus testing in other states, you know, they're not even as stringent as it is here. The way that they're testing here just makes no sense and is realistically doing some pretty bad faith yeah, science, I mean, in my opinion. It's that and it's just the rollout was done so badly is the part of the problem. And I can go into that if you want. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We want them to understand and hear because I think the important thing too for our listeners to understand is like, this is a drastic step that you have to take. You know, there's lots of conversations, especially with yourself and with other people who are going to the government, going to the regulatory bodies and being like, hey, we understand that this is important. These are some of the things we're seeing and it's not really making sense. And from everything I've heard, you guys just hit a brick wall, basically. Yeah. Bottom line, is exactly. What? Why do you think the state was so hardcore with that? Why do you think they so, didn't want to work with you guys? So bottom line is what we think. So I met with both OHA and the OLCC. OLCC does not have much of a choice on this. OHA is in charge of testing standards. So OLCC basically has to do what OHA says. When we met with the OHA leadership, well, first, it was pretty apparent that they're anti-inhalables in all forms. And if they had the ability to stop cigarette smoking, they would do that as well. But they had the ability to do things to cannabis, and they don't like inhalables and want to show that there are dangerous side effects that we aren't knowing about. The more information we've uncovered, we've found that there's a large group of people in government that are trying to find ways to show that cannabis is actually harmful, and they can't. Cannabis is a plant, has, and there's no toxicity, there's no one who's been like, they, they can't trace anything specifically to cannabis use. So what they did was they found things in cannabis that have traditionally been problematic in other crops. And then they translated and said, okay, here we go. No, salmonella, true. E. coli, true. Then they found aspergillus. And what they found with aspergillus, which is really kind of interesting, is it's exceptionally ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And yeah. it's also very hard to test on a traditional total yeast and mold plate. So that's what's been traditionally done is total yeast and mold. It's been around forever. You take a Petri dish and you, you inoculate the Petri dish and it grows colonies and you can get a total yeast and mold count to see for you know cleanliness in quotes for your flour. But 
Aspergillus is a clumping fungus and not a, it's not like a traditional fungus that can be counted very easily. And plating Aspergillus takes weeks and you can't get a true count. So they said, okay, this is not a great way of doing it. We're gonna find a better way. And the company that was kind of behind a lot of this finding also does UPCR tests for COVID and kind of said, look, we do genome sequencing of cannabis. That's one of the things they do. We do genome sequencing of other things. Let's see what else we can genome sequence that's involved here. And they said, okay, we'll test for the DNA of aspergillus. On paper, that sounds amazing. That sounds great. Okay, cool. You're going to go for this thing that is known to be a human pathogen or cause problems in humans. And you're going to use a test that only isolates for that. But what when we, when, you know, you take a, something that's out there in theory, and then you put it into practice. The problem in practice is when you're doing a DNA test for something that, yes, does find itself into cannabis, but also finds itself into air, you're, you're, and you're doing a test that literally one spore in the wrong place will set off the test, you're, you've got a way overly accurate test that really can't deal with the realities of the world. And so it, it, it's a two-part problem because number one, there's a problem of people who are growing clean cannabis, but have are in an open air environment like we are, we're a farm. So yeah. we have lots of buildings. You go from one building to the next building, you've got Aspergillus fumigatus, which is in the air everywhere that could be you know, a spore lands in your product. You sample that spore, bang, you got yourself a hit and you've got failed cannabis. But look at the other side of the picture. Because we're not a bunch of dirty farmers looking to sell moldy product. Here you go. There are people who are not great growers, not great conditions, kind of doing it for whatever reasons they're doing for it. And they grow moldy wheat, okay? There's somebody sampling that moldy wheat and they happen to grab a place in that which doesn't have the spore. All of a sudden they get a pass. So it's it's really not safe in either direction. And when we went to OHA about that and we said, listen, like you do realize like one spore can be anywhere. Like DNA comes up one spore and also could not be there. And they said, yeah, that's why we have multiple tests in place. Like if you pass, so if you fail and then you get it tested again and you pass, you, you have to go to another lab because they're saying, well, that gets too random. But they refuse to answer the question of what happens if you get a pass, but it actually has mold. That they don't want to be involved in that. That, that. Basically, what appears to have happened is they found something to get scared about and they looked for an easy way of solving the problem. OHA was supposed to, according to the audits that we were put under, was to analyze this problem, see how big of an issue it was. So is this an actual health threat to the people of Oregon? How is the best way to address the severity of the threat to the risk to businesses and to the individual. They didn't do that. They didn't have the money. They actually said we didn't have the money. So they just looked at other states. And by Oregon law, that's fine. But you have to look at the other states and not pick the most stringent, pick a middle of the road option. In fact, OHA has an audit from 2015 where they actually say that DNA testing for something that's so ubiquitous is going to cause false positives, false negatives. We need to find a middle road. But that's not what the OHA did. They literally found the hardest test to pass and put it on us. 
And what makes matters worse, and you can see like, this is all I think about these days. So I could, I could literally <laughs> not allow Whoa. you to speak. <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally your livelihood. It is it's your literally business. my livelihood. Because what happened here is they did say the law, you know, we knew about the law a year in advance, but you couldn't actually get a test done until the first person I know tried, law started March 1st. I know somebody who tried in January. No accredited labs or lab accredited labs, those are the labs that are accredited to do cannabis, had the test. So they went to a non-cannabis lab through a third party and they failed. And it turned out it was because they did the wrong incubation period. They did all the wrong stuff. But that, that guy called me and he said, Myron, we're all fucked. This is going to be a major problem. And I started doing the, the, the investigations. And my lab didn't even know what the standards were yet. This is in beginning of February. My lab said to me, we don't know what the action level is. So that's like, you know, what the barrier to fail is. Mm -hmm. So we can't really answer yet. And we did a public record search. When I say we, there's a consortium of farms that are actually working on this together. I started this group and now we have anywhere from 40 to a hundred people that get on a phone call every week. And we talk about, we compare materials. My job has really been getting the lawsuit going, raise money for the lawsuit. But I have other people who are really incredible. One guy, Les from Green Hills Farm, He's like very science-minded and Adam from Utopia, very research-minded. And they've been doing public record polls. And we found that ORLAP, so the ORLAP is the certifying body, was reaching out to the lab test maker, which is medicinal genomics, not saying anything not the truth, in the middle of February, asking them, number one, is this test going to be accurate? Because the test is designed to test 10 grams and we're going to use one gram. Is that accurate? And then number two, like, how long is this supposed to be incubated and all this? So we're talking two weeks before a rollout that was going to affect every business, and they still didn't know exactly what would happen. So now the rollout comes, and people start failing. And the problem is that no one really even understands in Oregon how to combat this, what our alternatives are, what the testing regimen is. And so... The reason we were able to, we started this lawsuit is it's not fair for the state to impose a rule that can put people out of business because they set up a legitimate business to follow all the rules. And then this rule is pulled in from nowhere and basically messes you up. So my farm, we're Can Essentials. I know I haven't started that yet, but we grow greenhouses, full light assist, full HVAC, living soil beds go into the native dirt we use shit tons of compost we use shit tons of wood chips we use cover crops we use top dress we we it's a very natural way of doing things and we are having a hell of a time getting passes because of the ubiquitous of this 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 aspergillus there's four strains of aspergillus we test for here fumigatus which is pretty much in the air all over oregon Flavus, which is the spore, the fungus that is actually one of the main things that helps break down dead organic material into nutrients that plants can eat. So like compost, fumigatus, forest floor, fu I mean, not fumigatus, flavus, forest floor, flavus. So in nature, if you want to convert carbon, which is basically dead life or all life, into nitrogen, which is a plant food, what does it? 
aspergillus flavus. So, you know, we're talking about a, a major part of life that they've now said is something you can't have. And so what are you supposed to do? So their options are, oh, remediate it, use, use fungicides. Well, right now there's no rules on fungicides, which means open season, use whatever the fuck you can. And people, <laughs> this is our livelihoods. People aren't like doing whatever they can. So yeah. yeah, you might not be getting aspergillus, but you're getting xeritol, you know, hydrogen peroxide dips, which is actually the least of them, ozone, x-rays, gamma rays, like you name it nothing needs to be labeled so my well, farm says, go ahead so what i will say is you know at sugar top you know we switched them over to a no-till organic farming practice got them Just to stop got to got them to stop dumping hundreds of gallons of you know horrible stuff into the water supply each day and then we ended up going no-till at the one facility doing perfect doing awesome uh, had two tests and fail at our new farm expansion that we did first first one out we fail and we're like okay i guess we'll have to play their game you know even though this is some of the cleanest cannabis ever no heavy metals no nothing so we get we get it you know x-rayed which you know, my friend's doing that company and everything and they're trying to provide a service for the community to figure out how to make sure people don't go out of business, I can for sure tell a difference in it. I can tell by oh, taste, I can tell a difference, but also we retest and aspergillus is no longer there because it's been radiated. But you know what? In metric, there's now a triangle saying that we failed previously and remediated it so that there's no speck of it. But and what I can tell you is every dispensary that we go to where we're traditionally getting somewhere between eighteen to $2,000 a pound are now offering us 1100 to $1,400 a pound because it failed. And, and there's nothing in metric, no requirement, no nothing that the consumer knows how it was cleaned up. Because, you know, I have, an, I have a story like that. You know, once we started failing we started doing every single different remediation there was. We tried, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to put down companies, but we tried a very natural approach and it stripped all the crystals off and it changed the flavor. Then we tried irradiation. Irradiation does a very good job of keeping the integrity. It looks yeah. perfect, but we noticed the same thing. It really messes with the terpenes in very weird ways. And it some things weren't bad and some things were horrible. But we because we're Camp Essentials, put a fucking irradiation symbol right there on our bottles, the one that is required for all foods. And if the store would buy it, we we're lucky to get a thousand for it. And bottom line is like, a lot of stores are like, we don't, we really just don't even want that. And I could be like, well, I get it. Cause like, I'm selling the cleanest flour around. Why would you? So then we went, we tried a special, oh, I talked to ozone machine people. I found this one that's a very specialized ozone machine that uses very small amounts. And they said, oh, you won't even notice the difference. You can totally notice the difference. Like, it completely, you, any person, I'm talking a non-smoker, can pick up a bag, smell it, and be like, there's something different about this. And here's the funny part. We failed with the fucking ozone trick. So bottom line is I had to then irradiate it. And I, I... You know, bottom line is, we lost a lot of flour. 
We decided as a company, we will not sell irradiated flour. We will not use fungicides. Chlorine dioxide is something that a lot of people have been using for cleaning. We're using it to clean rooms, but we don't want it around our flour. We decided we tried it. We didn't like the way it came out. Like every single thing I've tried takes all the hard work and love out of the plant. And so me and Shane, who's my cousin and my partner, we decided if we can't grow and do things the way we've done it, we don't want to be part of this. We're not going to be like, get into this now. Yeah. Are we crazy? You know, some people might say you're crazy if you're, if you throw away all your standards and do stuff, but at the same time, we've been some people may this. say that microwaving cannabis is crazy. You know, we all got different ideas of what crazy is. Exactly. But if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's well, the problem. That's that's very well said. Very well said. And you know, Malcolm the, X said that. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you for giving credit. But the, the interesting thing, I'll tell you. So has this put us virtually out of business? Yeah, I laid off every one of my employees. It's me and Shane now doing all the work. It's hard as hell. We're not giving up because we've got this lawsuit going. We've got a cycle we're taking down next week. It is, it's kind of hellish. But the fact that we did every single thing that the state told us to do, which was do R&D testing in the beginning, use every technique available to try to solve the problem. You know, we do everything that is within the law. And we went beyond that. We actually told people what we were doing. We went out of business because of this. So it made our standing in the lawsuit so much better because that's one of the big things about these lawsuits. When you're going for an administrative law thing, the irreparable harm to a business is the standing. You need that. And this law has done irreparable harm to us. If we do not get this passed, Can Essentials will no longer be able to. Because Can Essentials is, is about our standards of growing. Now, will we stop growing? Shane's never going to stop growing. That's what Shane does. But will it be Can Essentials anymore? No, because Can Essentials as a brand was built for a purpose. And that purpose is not allowed by current Oregon law. And so just a quick pivot, just so people understand something. This is not a problem for living soil only. This is a problem for every farm I know in the state. I have talked to farms that are the most advanced, multi-million dollar indoor facilities with UV in their air takes. And they're you know, using all kinds of stuff that I wouldn't use, but that's their business model. And they're still getting random fails. So we're, this is not a living soil problem. Yes, it's much worse for living soil, but this is a major problem for everyone because basically what they're seeing is a five to 9% failure rate among flower producers. And that's it basically means five to 9% of your crop you may lose. And most growers I know, that's our margin. So basically you're working at the point of any single fail could put you out of business. And that's why the lawsuit doesn't just have can essentials. It has a slew of other farms because they're, they can't handle a single fail. And I know a farm I just was talking to the other day. He was having, he got a fail in the beginning, wanted to get part of the lawsuit, wanted to be a client, but he said, you know what? I don't have enough fails to warrant me being scared for my business but I'm going to give you money and I'll just be part of it. But I, I can't be on there because I can't testify. It's a big problem. 
he just had $80,000 worth of infused joints fail. 80,000. So is he freaking out? Oh yeah, he's freaking the fuck out. And you know what? He doesn't want to irradiate, which is what most infused joints are being done with right now. Pretty much that's one thing. Infused joints just don't pass. It's We can't figure exactly out why. It's, well, and it's, it's because a lot of times people are handling it. It's in workplaces that you're doing it. I mean, you know, my mom worked at Campbell Soup at the headquarters. So we'd go to what they had, what was called the pilot factory. And, you know, that's where they would make batches of food and everything else. I've been in a lot of production facilities, a lot of growth facilities that are that level of cleanliness and are still failing, you know, yeah. because this is just something that's in the air. That's something that's just coming around and it's a part of the process with it. And ultimately, like I think we've you know talked about is this has just been written in bad faith. It's it's not been written in a way in which it is a participation between businesses here in Oregon, which are paying a lot of taxes, employing people and the regulating body. You know, there has to be a give and take there. I mean, so one of the people we just interviewed, he's on the board up in Alaska and you know the board that writes the laws writes the regulations it's filled with people who are in the industry it's filled with you know people who actually have scientific backgrounds in this and I think more and more I'm seeing how much the Oregon market the Oregon regulation side is just underrepresented in people who are putting the working because like you're doing this now you and Shane are in there doing it yourselves you you are very well educated on this and I don't think a lot of the people can talk at such lengths or you know about it you know it's really sad on the so there's what they call a rack rule rule making committee rule I don't know why I can't anyway the people who discuss the rules the experts before the rules go in when they were discussing aspergillus, they kept saying, is there a microbiologist here? No. They had a scientist on this. And his answer to every question was, I don't know. I'm not a microbiologist. So they were making decisions <laughs> without a microbiologist. You know, and yeah, there were farm representatives, but they had no, we're not microbiologists. Like, I knew, I didn't even know what aspergillus was six months ago. And now I'm like one of the state experts on aspergillus and remediation. I mean, is this what I want? No, but... <laughs> I'm doing it because I get phone calls. Uh, it used to be twice or three times a day. Now I get them about once or twice a week from a farm that has failed that says, Myron, what are the options? And I now know every single option. And I can say, like, this is what you're going to see. This is exactly what's going to happen. You're a wealth of knowledge. And thank you so much for the fight that you're fighting right now, Myron. It's my pleasure. I mean, start as an activist. I was telling somebody I fought with. Norm, I mean, I was part of normal in Colorado in the early 90s getting that legalization on the thing. And I'm like, I didn't fight to have some fucking corporate companies with their testing equipment and their remediation equipment to take my fucking farm away. Hi, I'm Myron from Canisentals. We're a small family farm in Eugene, Oregon, and we are being severely affected by the new aspergillus testing that's happening in the state of Oregon in the cannabis industry. So much so that it's almost put us out of business and a lot of our friends are at high risk of being put out of business. And so we sued the state and listen to this podcast and you'll hear all about our story and why you should not be scared of aspergillus.
Perfect. Hi, I'm Myron from Can Essentials. We're a small family farm in Eugene, Oregon. And I was just talking with Mike about how the new aspergillus testing that went into effect March 1st in Oregon is affecting small farms like me, large farms, clean farms, dirty farms, just about everybody in a very negative way. And because of that, we have sued OHA and the state to get this law taken away. And we had a great discussion about everything you need to know about that.